A day of judgment is coming when people will stand before God and give an account of their lives. In Psalm 17, David prays to God to come and be his judge. Now the context of Psalm 17 pictures David going to court against his enemies. God appears as the judge to whom David presents his case. And David asks God to vindicate him and protect him from his enemies. And so we'll entitle Psalm 17 a prayer for vindication. See, David asked God, he prayed to God to vindicate him, to protect him, but also to execute his enemies. See, David sees God as both judge and executioner. He also understands that God's judgment is not an abstract dream, but a reality. And so as we work our way through Psalm 17, this prayer for vindication, we're going to begin in verses 1 and 2 with a petition for justice, verse 3 to 5, a purpose to restrain, verse 6, a prayer for guidance, verse 7 through 12, a prayer for protection, and then verse 13 and 14, a prayer for deliverance, and verse 15, a prediction for satisfaction. So let's begin with this petition for justice in verses 1 and 2. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Give heed to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my judgment come forth from your presence. Let your eyes look with equity. In verse 1, the word for just cause indicates that which is right or normal, and it applies to what is just in a court of law. When David comes to God, the ruler judge, to present his petition for a hearing as a defendant, he claims, that is, David claims, not only that his cause is right, but also that he is innocent. And confident that his lips are pure, he boldly asserts in verse 2, or boldly asks in verse 2, for God to justify him. Now that word judgment there in verse 2 means vindication. The parallel clause of, of the second part of verse 2 asserts that his claim is honorable and therefore God can look at it. So in these opening verses, David is making a double assertion. He's saying, I am righteous and my cause is righteous. And what is striking about this is that David can say these things with confident boldness to the living God. He knows that his God tries all hearts and that nothing is hidden from him. And my friends, we too share David's same boldness. Not because we have a clear conscience, not because we have a just cause, but because we have a Savior who cleanses us and who has made His cause, made us His cause before the Father. As Paul writes in Ephesians 3.12, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. We move to verses 3 through 5 and we see His purpose to restrain. His purpose to restrain. Verse 3, You have tried my heart, you have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you find nothing. I have purported that my mouth will not transgress. As for the deeds of men, by the words of your lips, I have kept from the paths of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. David reminds God that he has examined him. In fact, God has done so even in the darkness when the evil things are hidden. But David's claim to righteousness still stands. His record is clear. He has resolved not to say anything against God's will. His heart, his lips, his thoughts, his words, everything about him is justified before God's all-seeing eyes. And so he turns to his life in this world 
In verse 4, he affirms that he has lived his life according to God's word. And since it's God's word that has guided him, he says he has not followed the way of the violent. And it is the violent that David is calling upon God to judge. Now, David's not presumptuous here, and that's why back in verse 3, he prayed for God to keep him in his ways. David says, I didn't, I didn't walk this way because of my own ability. It's by God's grace. And he needs God to keep him from slipping into the wicked ways of the violent. Verse 5 is a crucial verse. In fact, grace underlies verses 1 through 5 together. David's not claiming some uh, moral perfection here. He's very serious about God judging him. And the God he knows is not to be trifled with. But this God has kept him walking in his ways. And that's why, just like Ephesians 2.9 says, it's all through grace, lest anyone should boast. David's not boasting here. He's testifying to what God's grace has done in his life. Verse 6. We now have our prayer for guidance. I have called upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my speech. Having established his integrity before God, David petitions for his guidance. He prays because God hears. Now the verb for answer here means to hear. You will answer me. You will hear me, O God. David's very pragmatic. He's not praying some religious formality. He's not praying as some pious act. He's praying because God hears, God speaks, and God's act. God acts. He's the living powerful God who intervenes in David's life. And this affirmation is followed by a request. Incline your ear to me, hear my speech. God's face is towards him, his eyes are on him, and now God's ears are open to him as well. David has God's full attention. Verse 7 through 12, the prayer for protection. The prayer for protection. Wondrously show your loving kindness, O Savior of those who take refuge at your right hand, from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who despoil me, my deadly enemies who surround me. They have closed their unfeeling heart. With their mouths they speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. He's like a lion that is eager to tear and as a young lion, lion lurking in hiding places. Now what does David want? In one word, salvation. David wants God to intervene against his enemies. He wants God to act as both judge and executioner. Now as the ruler, who is also the commander of his troops, God establishes what is right, and then goes into battle for the righteous. He manifests his loving kindness, his covenant love, his mercy and grace through his right hand, through the hand of his authority and power. Now not only does David ask for deliverance, but he wants continual protection. He asked God to see him with special favor. Look at me as the apple of your eye. Literally, keep me as the pupil, P-U-P-I-L, pupil, the daughter of the eye. Now, if you cross-reference Deuteronomy 32.10, it has the same phrase translated here as apple of your eye as the pupil of your eye. That's the kind of, that's that he wants to be, he wants God to be laser focused on him, Okay. He also wants to be secure. He wants to be, he pictures God as a mother uh, hen with gathering her brood of chicks under her wings. I want to be safe and secure under your wings. Now, God obviously doesn't have physical wings, but he's using this anthropomorphism 
to give us this picture of how God covers and protects his people. So in God's care, David is safe from the wicked who despoil him, from the enemies who surround him. Notice he does not pray to be excused from the battle. He prays to be kept through the battle. Just as Jesus prayed in John 17, 15, I do not pray that you take the disciples out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one while they're in the world. And as God saves David from his enemies, he saves David for himself. Just as he saved Noah from the flood and for himself, so he did the same for David. And that's what salvation is all about. It's always about the negative and the positive. On the negative side, yeah, we have to go through these things. But on the positive side, he'll bring us through these things. Next, David offers his complaints to God. Now the first clause of verse 10 reads literally, they have closed up their fat. Their fat. Now it says heart there, but the word literally can be translated as fat. Now in Deuteronomy 32.15, to be fat means to rebel against God. To be rebellious is to be proud. And that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So a fat heart reveals a fat ego. Thus, they speak proudly. So next time you're dealing with somebody who's got an ego or somebody who's uh, rebellious, you just tell them, you're fat. Okay? You got a fat heart and a fat ego. Now, don't go out and say that to people. You'll offend people in the wrong way. So David points a gra- or paints rather a graphic picture of his enemies in verse 11. Here, they're all about him. Verse 9, they're like the lion in ambush. Their eyes are fixed. They're ready to lunge. They're eager to tear, tear into him as prey. And so David offers a fearful image of their strength, their deception, and their cunning. You know, we too are faced with rebellious, prideful enemies who seek our doom. And while they may not be the pagan hordes storming our city gates, they're just as real. Perhaps even more real than David's foes. And that's why Peter warns us of our ultimate enemy in a similar image. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Verse 13 to 14 brings us to our prayer for deliverance. Our prayer for deliverance. Arise, O Lord, confront him, bring him low. Deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword, from men with your hand, O Lord, from men of the world, whose portion is in this life, whose belly you fill with your treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave their abundance to their babes. Now David calls for God to resolve his crisis and go into battle. Arise, O Lord. David wants God to meet his enemy face to face, confront him. Literally in the Hebrew, it's confront his face. Stand face to face with him and destroy him. Cast him down. Furthermore, God is to save David from the men of this world whose portion is merely their belly and their progeny. They have their portion in this life. They're satisfied with children. They know no future life. They have no heavenly hope. It's all about the here and now and the legacy they leave behind in this world. Paul writes about these same people in Philippians 3.19. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly who set their mind on earthly things. And now we come to the final verse, verse 15, and the prediction for satisfaction. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I'll be satisfied with your loving kindness when I awake. In verse 15, David contrasts his own response to God's action. Rather than being determined by this world, David's determined by God. He longs to see God's face and to be in his likeness, to be righteous as God is righteous. He longs for creation to be restored as God's likeness is recovered in him. 
And although it's not stated here, what David ultimately longs for is the Messiah who will come and recreate us so we are conformed to himself. As 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so, my friends, in Psalm 17, David has asked God as his judge for action. He wants his case heard. He wants results. And his willingness to go directly to the Lord reveals his honesty, his faith, and his certainty that God will hear and act on his behalf. David believed that his case is just because he's just. He knows that God will not merely hear an answer someday in heaven or test his patience on earth. He knows that the living God will do something now. And while David asked for deliverance, he longed to be like God himself. He knows this was only come through his messianic hope. My friends, in Christ we too can have David's boldness. We too can have David's confidence that God will act for us against our enemies. We can also be certain that we will share in our Lord's likeness when we're glorified with him. And that ought to make Psalm 17 our psalm. David's vindication's our vindication. Indeed, we all stand before God. We will stand at the beam of seat if we're a believer. And if you're not a believer, if you're unregenerate, my friend, I've got a word of warning. You will stand at the great white throne. My works may be judged at the Bema seat. They'll either come forth as gold or they'll, come, they'll be burned up. But one way or the other, I know this, that I will go past the Bema seat and I'll reach the presence of God in heaven. But to you, my friend, who is unregenerate, you who do, does not know the Lord as your personal Savior, you who have never repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, which is demonstrated by your submission to His Lordship, i got a word for you. You're going to stand at the great white throne. Your works are going to be uh, destroyed and you're going to be cast in the lake of fire. You say, Pastor, that's harsh. No, that's reality. And I'd rather it be harsh on your ears now and rouse you to do something than know that you ignored this message and ended up spending an eternity lost in the lake of fire. My friends, on that final day, all secrets are going to be revealed. But my friend, to you who is in Christ, Romans 8.1 gives us assurance there is no condemnation. Indeed, believer, we will be vindicated. Let's pray. Gracious Father God, we thank you, Lord, for Psalm 17. We thank you for David's prayer for vindication, our prayer for vindication. And that's exactly what you've done the moment of salvation, Lord. You began vindicating us. Though we don't deserve it, but nonetheless, Father, you vindicate us because our enemy, that devil, goeth about as a roaring lion seeking to devour us. And yet, Father, you, you through your Son, you have stood against the wicked one, the devil. And Lord, no matter the, 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 the claims that he makes, no matter the uh, uh, charges he tries to uh, apply to us, Father, we're vindicated. We're, we're, we're redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. And because of that blood, we're vindicated. We're no longer condemned, but we're vindicated. And Father, I thank and praise you for that. That nothing, because we are vindicated, nothing can rob us of your presence. Nothing can rob us of your love. And so, Father, I just pray that as we go through this life, as we deal with the trials and the struggles and the tribulations of this world, the Lord will know, will remember the words of Psalm 17, and will be mindful that you are our judge, that you have judged us, you have found us, and judged us righteous, judged us vindicated, Lord, and that, Lord, we have nothing to fear except for you. 
And so, Father, we just thank and praise you for these things in your son's precious name. Amen.